Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11 will be our text today. Um, The title of the sermon is The Blessings of Justification. So, just a little bit of review as we've looked, as we studied in the book of Romans. Uh, We see in the first uh, chapter, actually the first two, almost three chapters, we find Paul very, very clearly presenting that everyone is a sinner. We all have a sin problem. And then uh, Paul gives us some good news in the last half of chapter 3. The righteousness required to gain eternal life with God and the joys of heaven is a free gift received through faith. We see that in chapter 3, verse 28. And then in chapter 4, Paul gave the example of mostly of Abraham. He also talked about David and just really making the case that we are only saved through faith. It's not through anything that we can do. It's through faith. And in chapter 5, Paul explains two basic truths. Number one, the blessings of our justification that we're going to look at today. And then number two, the basis for our justification, verses 12 through 21, which, Lord willing, we will look at next week. So I do hope that you are studying the book of Romans as we go along. The more you put into it, the more you will get out of it. And hopefully you are uh, interacting with the text on a regular basis throughout the week because it's going to really help in your understanding of the book. And I think it helps us in our understanding of the gospel because I really, I really believe the book of Romans is all about understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ. So follow along as I read verses 1 through 11 of Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. I thank you so much for the book of Romans. I thank you for the great uh, spiritual truth that it has for us. And Lord, as we look at verses 1 through 11 of chapter 5 today, I pray that the Holy Spirit would teach us, that you would make this passage clear to us, that we would truly understand the blessings that we have because of justification. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 
Man's way leads to a hopeless end. God's way leads to endless hope. And Paul is going to be sharing for us some of the blessings that we have if we have placed our faith in Christ because of that justification. Uh, I'm sure you've probably heard some of the bulletin misprints or goofs before. I'm going to share a few with you today. Thursday night, potluck supper, prayer and medication to follow. (laughs) I like this one. For those who have children and don't know it, we have a nursery downstairs. (laughs) I would hope that you knew you had children. Uh, Yeah, this is another good one. This being Easter Sunday, Mrs. Bertha Lewis will come forward and lay an egg on the altar. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Next Sunday, a special collection will be taken to defray the cost of the new carpeting. All those wishing to do something on the new carpet will come forward and do it. Okay. Uh, This is a good one. Uh, During the absence of our pastor, we enjoyed the rare privilege of hearing a good sermon when Dr. A.B. Doe supplied our pulpit. (laughs) Uh, Another one. You will want to attend the National Prayer and Fasting Conference at First Church. Your registration includes three meals. (laughs) Ladies, don't forget the rummage sale. It's a chance to get rid of those things that you don't want to keep. Don't forget your husbands. And then, lastly, please welcome Pastor Cowden, a caring man who loves hurting people. (laughs) Uh, I confess I'm the one responsible for the bulletin, so when you see things in there that you go, really? It's my fault, okay? I have nobody to blame but myself. Caroline helps printing them out uh, and folding the bulletins, but I'm the one that writes them. So uh, sometimes I make mistakes, and they're very obvious. I think the worst one to date is uh, I typed in for, for a song, um, the name of the song is At Calvary, and I put At Cavalry, <laughs> giddy up. <laughs> uh, well, fortunately, in God's word, we don't find mistakes. We find God's truth there, and there are no mistakes, no misprints. And in Romans 5, Paul lists seven blessings for us that believers in Jesus Christ have because of God's grace. So these blessings of our justification are are really for our benefit, they're for our experience, you might say. So when God declares us righteous in Jesus Christ, he gives us these seven spiritual blessings assuring believers that we cannot be lost, that we are secure in Christ. So the first one, number one, is peace with God. Uh, Follow along as I read verse one. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I keep saying this, but I'm going to remind you once again, when you see the word therefore, it's an important word in Bible study, okay? When you see therefore, ask, what's it there for? Because usually it's It's building on something that has just been said and things that are important. Um, So uh, this chapter starts out with, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith. This refers to the one act of faith the moment we place our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior. 
And it's at that point that we have peace with God. To understand this, we need to know that before our belief or faith, we were God's enemies. Okay? You may think you were God's friend, but you were God's enemy before you came to Christ, um, according to verse 10. Peace with God. Think about that for a second, the phrase peace with God. Um, Billy Graham wrote a book back in 1953 entitled Peace with God. I'm going to share just a couple of sentences from that book. The greatest warfare, he writes, going on in the world today is between mankind and God. People may not realize that they are at war with God, but if they don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, and if they have not surrendered to him as Lord, God considers them to be at war with him. Uh, So if we've never placed our faith in Christ, we are enemies of God. We are at war with him. And Billy Graham also not only wrote that book, but he wrote a a little uh, tract pamphlet titled Steps to Peace with God. Excellent tract. Um, We've passed them out at musky days. Um, Very good. But I would encourage you to look at one of those if you've never, never have. But because of what God has done in justifying those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, we then have peace with God. And that's a glorious blessing for us. It's wonderful news. It seems the more that we can comprehend the danger of our, where we were before, the fearful wrath that we were under with God, the more we can rejoice in what he's given to us. So because of what God has done in justifying those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, we've got peace with God. So that's a wonderful, wonderful truth for each one of us to know, especially if we know Jesus Christ as our Savior. Peace does not refer to inner tranquility necessarily, although that is part of the relief we feel. Peace refers to us no longer being subject to God's wrath because of sin. The death of Jesus Christ satisfied our death, I'm sorry, our debt of sin, so that believers and God are no longer divided by rebellion, but we're, we're brought together. We are reconciled in peace. Um, and the resulting Peace should be overwhelming for us. Uh, I think most of you are familiar with Martin Luther. Uh, Martin Luther spent much of his time following Catholic doctrine, trying to appease God. And he writes, Though I lived as a monk without reproach, I felt that I was a sinner before God with an extremely disturbed conscience. I could not believe that he was placated by my satisfaction. I did not love, yes, I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners, and secretly, if not blasphemously, certainly murmuring greatly, I was angry with God and said, as if indeed it is not enough that miserable sinners, eternally lost through original sin, are crushed by every kind of calamity by the law, without God uh, adding pain to pain by the gospel and also by the gospel threatening us with righteous wrath." Um, So he he was having a hard time with it. Uh, The problem with trying to earn one's way out of debt is that you can't do that. We've learned that. Uh, Paul's repeated that over and over, but we can't do that. But the people that are trying to do that are miserable because they never know if they've done enough, and they're not going to know until they die. Uh, But Paul is clearly taught through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, nobody's good enough. You You can try to be good, 
but works are not going to get us into heaven. Martin Luther finally found relief, and he wrote, By the mercy of God, meditating day and night, I gave heed to the context of the words, namely, in it the righteousness of God is revealed, as it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live, Romans 1.17. There I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that by which the righteous lives, I'm sorry, that the righteousness is by a gift of God, namely faith. And this is the meaning. The righteousness of God is revealed by the gospel, namely the passive righteousness with which merciful God justifies us by faith, as it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. Here I felt I was altogether born again and had entered paradise itself through open gates. There a totally other face of the entire scripture showed itself to me. Thereupon I ran through the scripture from memory. I also found in, in terms, in an, an analogy as the work of God, that is what God does in us, the power of God with which he makes us wise, the strength of God, the salvation of God, the glory of God. And I extolled my sweetest word with a love as great as the hatred with which I had before when I hated the word righteousness of God. Thus, that place in Paul for me was the gate to paradise. So Martin Luther realized, you know, he couldn't earn righteousness with God. He couldn't do good things good enough uh, to, to placate God. But he came to realize he didn't have to. Christ did it. We just need to place our faith in him. The second blessing we have because of our justification is number two, access to God. And we see this in the first part of verse two. If you remember from your previous study in the Bible, the Jews, if you think of the temple in Jerusalem, the Jews were kept from going all the way in, right? One priest, once a year, could go into the inner holy of holies. But most Jewish people could not enter into that. They really did not have access to God. It was only that one priest. For the Gentiles, they were kept out by a wall in the temple with a warning on that wall that any Gentile who passed that wall would be killed. So they obviously didn't have access either, right? They, there were little uh, partitions, little ways that they couldn't get to direct access to God. Um, but when Jesus Christ died on the cross, Luke 23, 45 tells us he tore the veil, tore the veil of the temple and broke down the wall according to Ephesians 2, 14. So in Christ, believing Jews and Gentiles now have access to God. We stand in grace, not in law, and because of that, we have direct access to God anytime that we want. If you really wrap your mind around that, that is an amazing truth. Because before, uh, in the Old Testament, they had to go through somebody, we have direct access to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, to God Almighty. Let's look at verses, I'm going to start at verse 1 again. And then we'll look at the first part of verse 2. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So something else that is very interesting to learn here in the phrase in which we stand, it's the Greek 
term for stand that implies the establishment of something permanent. So uh, basically, as believers, we permanently have a standing before God. We have direct access, and that's a great blessing for us. Uh, we can talk to him about anything and everything at any time. We just go to him in prayer. Uh, no roaming, no long-distance charges. We just have direct access, free of charge. Christ has paid for us to enter and stand before God, and I believe that makes access for us to him in prayer now and in the future when we will be worshiping before his throne. So today we pray because we are not physically with him. Yes, the Holy Spirit is inside of us. But one day when we get to heaven, we will be worshiping before the throne, which is going to be another wonderful blessing. Um, back when I was in um, school, culinary school, it's the time when Ronald Reagan was the president, and he came to Minnesota to give out some educational awards. And one of the awards he gave out was to Hopkins School District, which is the one that I grew up going to. And during that, and I don't remember the other schools, but during that time, um, he actually was going to come to where I was going to school and we were going to serve him a meal. We kind of found out about this after the fact, but when we found out about that, it was pretty exciting. It didn't happen because of security concerns. Uh, they just felt like they couldn't keep him safe enough, probably, because of us. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but it didn't happen. But we were pretty excited to actually be in the presence of the president, to be able to serve the president a meal. How much more for us who are believers? We have direct access to the presence of God at any time. The third blessing we are informed of is number three, glorious hope. And we find that in the last half of verse 2, but I'm going to start at the first part of verse 2. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The word rejoice that is used there in verse 2, it's also used in verse 3 and verse 11, can be translated to boast or exalt. Um, so we have learned that we fall short of God's glory, right? Romans 3.23. But in Christ, we certainly have reason to boast in his righteousness and glory. Uh, we often think of boasting in a negative way. You know, we shouldn't boast. But in this situation, uh, we should. The Greek lexicon defines the use of the verb as, quote, to express an unusually high degree of confidence in someone or something being exceptionally noteworthy. So can we boast in Christ? Absolutely. Should we boast in Christ? Absolutely, because he is exceptional. He is noteworthy. Um, so the idea that Paul is expressing is for us to live with joyful confidence in the free gift of grace. The word hope that is used here in the last half of verse 2 is not the way that we normally use the word in English. When you find the word hope in Scripture, don't think of, I'm hoping for a new bike for Christmas, okay? That's not the way that it's, it's meant to be understood. The word hope is used in a biblical sense as a noun meaning an assured expectation. So it's something that is assured, something you're looking forward to. It's not something, oh, I hope this happens. It's something that 
you're confident will happen. Uh, it's kind of like if you go and purchase a ticket for a concert or a sporting event. Okay, you, you plop your money down, either you do it online or you go to the box office, you get your ticket, you pay the price for the ticket. Do you hope that you're going to have a seat? No, you're confident that you're going to have a seat at that event. You're expecting to have a seat. And that's the idea here. Um, so if you are a person who has placed your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation, you have a hope. You have a blessed hope. You have this confident expectation. We know that all things work together for good, Romans 8.28, and we know that nothing will separate us from the love of God, Romans 8.39. So our relationship with God is secure. Um, it is a glorious hope. Uh, illustration. And by the way, this is not a true illustration, okay? As you will find out when I tell the story. There was a doctor who thought he really wanted a fast, nice car. So he went out and bought a Ferrari 12-cylinder Model 812 that supposedly could do 211 miles an hour. Uh, he had lots of money, so he didn't really care. He spent $338,000 to get this car. Well, he's out driving it one day, and... Um, this older man pulls up at the stoplight next to him on a moped. And the old man said, what kind of car do you got there, Sonny? And the doctor replied, it's a Ferrari 812, which cost $338,000. The old man said, well, that's a lot of money. And why does it cost so much? And the doctor proudly said, because his car could do 211 miles per hour. The moped driver asked, can I look inside? So he stuck his head inside the window. Uh, the, the doctor said that would be fine and looked around. Then he was sitting back on his moped and the old man said, that is a pretty nice car, all right, but I will stick with my moped. Just then the light turned green and the doctor thought, I'm going to show this guy what this thing can do. So he put the pedal to the metal and took off. And uh, he happened to look through the window, and he's like, what is that back there? And it looked like the old man in the moped. Um, and suddenly, the old man went whipping by him as he was driving fast. And he's like, this just doesn't make sense. So he caught up with what had passed him. He sees it's the old man on his moped. Amazed that the moped could pass his Ferrari, the doctor gave his car more gas and passed the moped and looked at his speedometer and saw that he was going 200 miles an hour. The doctor was feeling pretty good about himself until he looked in the rear view mirror and saw the old man gaining on him again. Astounded by the speed of the old guy, he accelerated and got his car up to the maximum 211 miles per hour. Not 10 seconds later, he sees the moped bearing down on him again and there's nothing else he can do. Suddenly, the moped plows into the back of the Ferrari doctor jumps out, and unbelievably, the old man is still alive. And the doctor says, are you all right? Is there anything I can do to help you? And the old man whispered to the doctor, yeah, please unhook my suspenders from the side view mirror. <laughs> We're attached to God with something far greater than suspenders, okay? Uh, we have glorious hope. Our hope is secure in our Savior.
Another blessing of justification, number four, is Christian character. Look at verses three through four. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. So just because we have been justified does not mean we are going to escape the trials of life. Jesus said in John 16, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So we believers will have trials, we will have troubles, but for believers the trials work for us and not against us. Uh, for many people, trials and trouble do them in. They, they hate trial and trouble. Um, they can't handle them. But that shouldn't be the case if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Uh, do you rejoice in suffering? Verse 3 tells us that we should. I don't know about you, but I really don't rejoice in suffering. But according to Scripture, we should rejoice in suffering. Um, no amount of suffering can separate us from the love of God, according to Romans 8.39. So instead, trials and troubles actually should bring us closer to God and should make us more like him. That's why we should embrace them, okay? Uh, suffering builds character. In other words, it takes trouble and trials to bring out the best in your life. And those come into our lives at times for the purpose of growing us. Suffering builds Christian character. So suffering is never meaningless. Uh, don't ask God why. Why are you doing this to me? But ask him, what can I learn? What do you want me to learn? How do you want me to grow in this situation? So how should you react uh, to the experiences of life that are difficult? The Bible says we should react with rejoicing. Why? Because you are going through a growth process that stretches you and shapes you. And yes, sometimes it's going to hurt. Uh, oftentimes you hear of young, young people growing really fast and their knees and their legs hurt because they you know you hear about them growing six inches over the summer and they have sore knees and legs because they're growing so fast um, you also hear of people my understanding is if you want to get bigger muscles then you're going to have to work you're going to have to exercise or lift weights and what that does is it breaks down your muscles so that your muscles can then get bigger same thing happens when we go through trials and tribulations God is working to grow our faith and to grow us into him. Um, often you hear the phrase, no gain without pain, but the same is true spiritually. Trials come into our lives to make us stronger. Uh, note the progression here. Suffering to perseverance to character to hope. So Christians can rejoice in suffering because they know that it is not meaningless. Uh, part of God's purpose is to produce character in his children. And he, he's faithful to do that, but we need to let him do that in our lives. A trouble-free, trial-free life is not God's plan for us. He wants us to grow through adversity. So only a believer who has faced distress can develop steadfastness or perseverance, which develops proven character, which results in biblical hope. As believers suffer, they develop steadfastness, that quality deepens their character, and a deepened, tested character results in hope or confidence 
that God is going to see us through. So we've, so far we've seen four blessings uh, because of our justification. We've seen that we have peace with God, we have access to God, we have glorious hope, and we have Christian character. Now we're going to move on to number five, God's love within. Look at verse five. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. This doesn't mean our love for God, but instead it means God's love for us, okay? So God's love within us, it's not, wow, I've got this great love for God, but it is God has placed his love within us. Um, This love is made real by the Holy Spirit whom he gave to us. So the Holy Spirit is the divine agent who expresses to a believer the love of God. It's the Holy Spirit that helps us understand what Christ did for us on the cross. We need the Holy Spirit working in our life if we're going to accept him as our Savior. Um, And this inner experience of God's love through the Holy Spirit sustains us as we go through those tribulations. Look at verses 6 through 8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So I believe the Holy Spirit reminds us of what God has done for us in sending Jesus Christ into the world to die for us, providing a solution for our sin problem. Uh, We are totally undeserving of God's love. It's a gift of grace. Jesus said that he would send the Comforter, who is the Holy Spirit, and as we go through the difficulties, as we go through the trials, as we go through the tribulations, it's the Holy Spirit that is working to shape that character within us and helps us to remember God's great love for us. The sixth blessing of justification is salvation from future wrath. Look at verses 9 through 10. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? So Paul is teaching that if God saved us when we were his enemies, he's surely going to keep us saved if we are his children. The wrath mentioned here is what the prophets in the Old Testament spoke about. In Zephaniah 1.15, that day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. Uh, There is a wrath to come. I believe that wrath to come is in the Great Tribulation. As you look through the book of Revelation, Paul informs us that we will be saved from that time of wrath. Uh, We've been saved from the penalty of sin. We are being saved from the power of sin. And we will be saved in the future from the presence of sin. When we get into heaven, the sin will be gone. I mean, there will be no sin in heaven. Praise the Lord, right? It's going to be something to look forward to. It's my belief that the Bible teaches that Christ will come right before the rapture. Those who are saved, who have placed their faith in Christ, will be taken up to be with the Lord, okay? Then the rapture hits, and that's when God pours his wrath out onto the earth. Um, according, if you want to do further study, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 5, 11, you'll, you'll find that. Uh, 
as Paul told us in Romans 5, we're going to go through difficult times. It doesn't mean it's clear sailing for the Christian. There will be tough times. Uh, if you look at the history of the church, the church has gone through tough times since the beginning back in Acts. I mean, there have been difficulties that the church has encountered. But we are not going to experience God's wrath, and that is a huge blessing. We may experience the wrath of men. They may get upset with us, but we're not going to experience God's wrath. Um, that is one of the blessings of justification. Then, uh, lastly, the seventh blessing of justification is reconciliation with God, verse 11. Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Reconciliation means to be brought back into fellowship with God. A reconciliation like justification is a present reality for believers, something we can rejoice about. Um, back in Romans chapter 1, we learned that mankind had rebelled against God. And in a sense, when we rebel against God, we've declared war on God. Because of that, mankind deserves eternal condemnation. Uh, but God did not declare war on mankind. Instead, he sent his son to be the peacemaker, Jesus Christ to be the perfect sacrifice, so that men might be reconciled to him. That is another cause of rejoicing. You can rejoice that God has provided salvation for us and is willing to save us who are sinners if we will trust in Christ as Savior. So God has worked out his plan. He has demonstrated his love for us. And that is a huge benefit if we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. And certainly these seven things ought to make us rejoice. We are soon to enter into November, a time of thanksgiving. I would encourage you to think about these seven things during the month of November because they are great things to be thankful for. Um, in closing, have you been justified by faith in Jesus Christ? If you haven't, I would urge you to place your faith in Christ today. If you have been, then you have these blessings. You have these great things to look forward to that are a part of your life right now. But as we even consider what we have now, as we look towards the future, the best is yet to come. There was an older lady, I think she was in her 80s, um, she found out she had another tumor and the medical people couldn't do anything about it. She knew she was going to die, so she called the pastor over to her home. pastor comes over, and she gives the details, and he said, oh, I'm really sorry. And she said, well, I want you to preach my funeral, and I want you to do something when I'm in the casket, or I want you to make sure something is done while I'm in the casket. He goes, okay, what's that? He said, she said, well, I'd really like in my casket to have my Bible in one arm and a fork in the other hand. And he's like, uh, that's a little weird. Why, why do you want that? <laughs> and she said, well, whenever we have those potlucks, they always say, save your fork. Dessert is coming. And she's like, hey, the best is yet to come. I've, I've lived a good life on this earth, but I'm looking forward to something much better. And we can look forward to that as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these blessings we have because of justification, because we have been justified by you through faith in Christ. What a blessing that is. And Lord, I just pray that if there be anyone here that has not placed their faith in Christ, that they would do so soon, that they would even do so today. But for those of us that have, Lord, 
Help us to realize the great blessings that we have and help us to be willing to share the good news of the gospel so that others can experience those blessings as well. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.